If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hey team, Prop O here, just reminding you to check out Edge Rush. Every week throughout the season, Nat and I bring you a degenerate breakdown of the week's action, giving you the sharps perspective. We go head to head with our Drew Locks of the week. I give a couple of prop bets. Even if you don't like a flutter, we focus on key matchups, identify breakout players, and if we miss a game in the preview show, I guarantee we cover it. Make sure you check out Edge Rush with me, Ollie Thornton, and the guy who is so modest, he names a show after himself, Nat Coombs. Welcome to the Nakum Show, FFS Show 2. We're back. We're deep diving into everything fantasy with the guru, the brilliant James Sandrini. Here we are, James Sandrini, FFS 2. I think uh, you, as well as our listeners, are as surprised as I am that we made it to the second episode. Rare air. Pilot be damned. We're back, baby. Back, baby. I like that. That's fight and talk. That's hype talk at the top of the show because, frankly, we need that. We've got a lot to get into uh, on today's show as we get our listeners set for another season of fantasy glory, or in my case, fantasy mediocrity. But you're going to help me with that, aren't you? You're going to help elevate me from the, the the chasing pack into the into the contenders. You and Ben Isaacs, uh, I believe. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, we're going to put a listener uh, show league together, which is going to feature the great Ben Isaacs. I'll be in there as well. Propo will have a team. Propo will draft a team and then probably never look at it again and still come higher than me. That's that's how that will play out. Other friends of the show will feature too. Uh, I'm sure Tom, Tom Deacon loves a bit of fantasy. We'll get him. Carlson hates it. So we're no, <laughs> there's no way we're getting Carlson in the mix. Shane Vereen, I'm sure. We'll get Shane to put a team in as well. So we'll have a lot of our faves. You'll be there as well as the, uh, the bookies fans. I think presumably it's a land. No pressure there, Sandrini. No pressure. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be leading from the front. I don't think there's any question about that. Everyone's just going to come and chase me. Uh, you are the Buffalo Bills of our fantasy league, uh, essentially. The uh, spots will be open for our listeners too. So we're going to push some uh, over the next couple of weeks on our social channels, push some questions out, competition mechanics out so you can win a spot in the NC show fantasy league and speaking of which we have a daily fantasy league as well which a lot of you have signed up to which is exciting to see courtesy of our friends DraftKings, the daily fantasy league that'll roll uh every week throughout the season of course and a propo and i and you james are all in that already so you can go head to head with us and prove you know a lot more than any of us or three of us combined so check out the link in the show notes that is also over on uh, our social channels pin tweet uh, on twitter at the nc show that's how you get involved with our daily fantasy league with DraftKings. lots of exciting prizes to win there as well including tickets 
to Broncos Jags at Wembley. If you want to win tickets to Broncos Jags at Wembley, you've got to be in that league. So go get involved, get stuck in. We'll have a lot of fun there. Right, let's get down to business. We're going to talk a bit of uh, a bit of Daily Fantasy later on. Uh, stacking, we're going to talk about strategy generally with Daily Fantasy. Look at a couple of key players as well that you want to key in on. Lots of good stuff to get into. I want to start with news, some news though. News that of course relates to the season ahead from a football perspective, but also has fantasy connotations as well. Starting with big news in the last 24 hours, Julio Jones heading to Tampa. Julio to Tampa. It's a one-year, $6 million deal. Nice work if you can get it. From a football perspective, I absolutely love it. I don't care that over the last couple of seasons, he has gone off the radar. Uh, Injury, of course, has affected that. He's not the player that he was back in 2018 and before but I love the mix. I love the mix of him in Tampa, 700 yards, six touchdowns, including one in the championship game to get into the Super Bowl. Brady's going to love hooking up with him. I like it from a football perspective. I don't care if they've overpaid for him. They're all in. They're looking for that. They're looking for that win or bust kind of mindset. So I, I, I like the deal. But from a fantasy perspective, James Sandrini, should we be getting excited about Julio's fantasy potential or not? I think you're right that from a football perspective, it's a great signing. And, you know, the rich get richer. Brady just seems to have all these guys on speed dial. Um, But from a fantasy perspective, I think there's a couple of formats where you could look at Julio. So DFS is one where we know there's going to be some spike weeks. Like he has such athletic ability that he can take, you know, his, his... Career yards per catch is extraordinarily high. He only needs four or five catches in a game to go off for 100 plus yards. He hasn't scored many touchdowns in recent seasons, but we still know he's a real red zone threat at six foot three. He's he's that kind of alpha receiver archetype. But I don't think for redraft, I'm not sure, obviously, for, for things like Dynasty, you're going to get too much more out of him. I think the more interesting conversation with Julio is what does that do to Mike Evans? What does that do to Chris Godwin? Uh, receivers that are probably going to take a little dip where I don't think that's warranted because I don't think Julio is going to be as big a part of the offense. Is he, you know, a better Brashad Perriman? This is a sacrilege, I know, in terms of how they use him this year as a, a perimeter receiver that, you know, goes for four or five receptions a game and, and, and maybe gets his yards occasionally, but I'm not sure we can trust him. Does he feel that, Gronk red zone void until Gronk rolls back into Tampa week seven. That's what we've heard from the coaching staff. They were very keen to to ensure this was a almost a, a Gronk replacement rather than a receiver uh, coming into camp. But again, I think, you know, they're a team that's going to spread the ball around. Brady has the guys that he trusts. Evans was his red zone receiver last year. It, it could be we see that earlier in the season. I'm sure Julio can pick up the playbook quickly enough, but... I just, I'm not sure the consistency is going to be there. And look at Gronk last season. You know, we had some great spike weeks from him early in the year, um, but that didn't retain throughout. Great spike weeks and great spikes, of course, from Gronk. Uh, nobody spikes Ooh. a ball better than Gronk, quite frankly. Uh, Chris Carson, retiring from the game. The uh, the sad tale of running backs, of course, that just get ground into the ground. And it's a short shelf life being a running back. It ain't... Uh, it ain't like you're a, a kicker or a quarterback. You can roll into your 40s. Uh, and Carson, uh, very much uh, uh, a, an example of that that situation in, in, in recent years, of course, coming into the league with so much potential and had a solid career. I mean, a couple of big seasons, 2018, 2019, he surpassed 1,000 yards, the, the magic number, of course. Uh, uh, 
it, considering he was a, a low round draft pick, I guess you could say he surpassed expectations in some ways, but disappointing that his season has ended so uh, briefly compared to, to others. What does this mean for the Seattle backfield then uh, with Penny, Kenneth Walker? Uh, I mean, what, what, what else is there right now? Will they presumably be making some moves and looking at those players right now, looking for a, looking for a home uh, and wheel in a vet to strengthen the core? Yeah, Carson was a great player to watch and, and it's a loss. I mean, I, he had three good years and I think that's probably what you're looking at for most running backs in the league. I think, you know, seasoned players would have seen neck injury and had their concerns with him. So they would have been planning ahead. Well, you've got Penny, you've got Walker. Both of them are traditional two down backs, really. And neither of them are going to fill that role on third down. That's going to go to a, a Travis Homer, a DJ Dallas. You could question how you manage to uh, draft a first and second round receiver and still don't have third downs covered. You know, that's a question for the Seattle hierarchy. But I think what we're going to see to start the season is is it's Penny's job and Walker is competing. Uh, and maybe it's a 60-40 split, 70-30 on first and second down. And then they, they bring in the third down back. They're not a team historically that has thrown the ball a lot on third down or to backs generally. So the, the issue is for anyone who's drafting these guys is how much you're going to get out of them when this offense we think is going to be bottom third and I'm being kind. The line isn't great. Yes, they've invested. How many yards per carry can we expect from them? They're not going to be in the red zone all that often, we don't think, and they're not catching often. So Penny had a great end to the last season. Walker has talent. He might be the best runner in the draft class ahead of a Brees Hall in terms of pure running ability, but it's still easy to fade Penny and Walker even with the news on Carson. Okay, uh, let's go to Jacksonville next. James Robinson, hell of a player. Mm, everyone in the world agrees, apart from Urban Meyer. Uh, but he is looking good in terms of fitness. Of course, Torres Achilles, uh, what, just shy of a year ago. Uh, but he's not going to begin uh, camp on the pup list. So there is uh, high hopes that he's going to feature sooner rather than later. Where does he fit in now? Meyer's gone. Doug Peterson's in. Obviously, Travis, Et uh, Travis Etienne's in the mix there. We we love Robinson. The ceiling is there. But from a fantasy perspective, is he a player that you should be looking at? Maybe as a sleeper pick. Is he going to go a lot higher than that? Where's Robinson sitting in your estimation with this news? We used to think that Achilles injuries were career enders. You know, really until Cam Akers came back at the, last, the end of last season, we were thinking the guy's done. Dante Foreman had an Achilles injury a few years ago. Probably took two, three years to be a you know, prominent runner again. Okay, he doesn't have the profile of a of an Acres, but with Robinson coming back in now, we have to start questioning: is, Has the medicine, has the science, just elevated uh, what these players can do in terms of rapid recovery? However, Acres didn't look good at the end of last season. Okay, the other backs didn't look great either in that offense. I think with Robinson. What we have to remember with ETN is, you know, he's Trevor Lawrence's best friend. He's receiving back out of the backfield. This team is going to want to spread it around. There's no dominant receiver. We think that Peter, um, Doug Peterson coming in, Doug Peterson coming in is going to go with a similar offense to what he had in Philadelphia, which did feed the back. So, you know, ETN is probably someone we're going to see get 60, 70% snap share early on. And Robinson will be, uh, will be part of a committee um, coming into the season. But, but I do think this is big news in the, it's an 18 game season. Yeah, he's got time to play himself in. I think he has an opportunity towards the end of the year to be someone who's their goal line back. And that could, you know, depending on the development of, of Lawrence and this offense, have some value. So I, I think he's going to see himself rise on draft boards, particularly when we start seeing him in pads. Uh, but I think we have to accept that he might not be playing week one of the season. So if you are drafting him or picking him up, don't expect things straight away. 
Okay. Speaking of which, let's look at uh, two players that we don't expect will be suiting up week one. Well, one we're certain won't be, which is Sean Watson. Alvin Kamara, a little less clear. Jeremy Fowler from ESPN reported this week that uh, the NFL are still monitoring the Alvin Kamara situation and legal developments. There's an August the 1st court date. No firm timetable for a decision on potential discipline is uh, uh, reported. So it's unclear, really. I mean, I suppose it, it means there is a realistic chance that Kamara could be playing in the early weeks of the season. Expect uh, that there's a good chance there will be a suspension at some point. So what does this do to Kamara's draft stock? What should our listeners be thinking when seeing Alvin Kamara on the board, maybe drop down, you think, oh, it's a steal getting him there. Is it a boom or bust kind of play? What do you, what do you reckon about plays like that? And indeed, I guess let's extend this to Watson. You know, they're going to miss a chunk of time, but when you do get him, if uh, normal service on the field resumes, they're exceptional players. You can get a real steal if they drop low. Yeah, I think early on in any, uh, anyone's fantasy career, you learn to separate the work from the man. And, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, do you? I mean, do you, I know I have <laughs> problems with selecting certain players on that basis, I have to say. Yeah. I mean, look, Tyreek and Mixon are going to be round two picks. I think yeah. people move on pretty quick. But, uh, but what does tend to happen in the immediacy after someone does something flagrantly terrible is their draft stock drops. And with Kamara, most people were assuming it's a six-week suspension to start the season. So that means Mark Ingram's going to have more value there. And that means um, Kamara's not going to be around for the, you know, the opening stages of a season that particularly in a redraft format or a dynasty format probably determine whether you're a you know, playoff team or not. The reality is he's a value. And if he has a six-game ban, well, he's still back for the second half of the season and the playoffs uh, in whatever format you're playing in. And this offense we know goes through him. So even with the additions of Chris Alave, Michael Thomas is, is, is back training uh, with the Saints now, you still got to figure that he's, he's the center point of the offense as and when he's available. So I, I do think he's probably a value where he's going right now. But if he doesn't get, and if he doesn't receive a suspension, then he goes back into the conversation of a, of a top five running back in the NFL. What have you seen in terms of mock drafts and an average draft position for Kamara recently is he sort of zip, zip, zipping up and down is it quite volatile or is he kind of holding firm he's rising on the basis that people are starting to question whether that suspension's coming but i've seen him go in the fifth round of Ooh. startups yeah uh, or, or redraft and that is a phenomenal value at that point because he's one of the few players really who has that spot to himself he's mm. not a traditional running back uh, if we think about what we know from 80s 90s early 2000s he's not that three down grinder but he's someone who's fed into the offense more than enough to be a feature back. And mm. there's only, you know, a handful of those left. So it, that's that's great value if you can get him there. It depends on the format you're in. But uh, but I still think in general, he's being underdrafted. Okay. Uh, and just on to Sean Watson, before we move on to, to Kean and some other players, where is he going right now? What's his ADP? Uh, let's have a look at DraftKings and see where Deshaun's going. I don't think it's going to be high. So Deshaun is currently going 169th on... DraftKings, uh, and that's the same territory as Zach Wilson, which tells you everything you need to know about what people are assuming happens to Deshaun this season. It, again, it depends on the format you're in. The reality looks like that we're not... At worst, it looks like it's a year's ban at this point. So if you're in a dynasty league, you, you know here's, a, here's someone who's going to come back and be a 
top five, top eight quarterback next season. So again, you know, chances are you're getting him at a value. In redraft, you're taking a major risk, particularly if he's your QB1 in a standard league, if he's your QB2 in a super flex. And with, with DFS, you can obviously wait and see what happens. Jacoby Brissett's the backup there. Mm. We've seen enough of him to know what he's capable of. He, he is exactly that. You know, he's an able, capable quarterback, but you're not going to get uh, as much from him. And, and obviously that offense will no, have no any of the ceiling without, without Deshaun there. Uh, if it's Deshaun Watson or Drew Locke, gun to the head, you've got to draft one of them. Come on. It's Locke, right? It's Deshaun. <laughs> Lock, by all accounts, is losing that camp battle to Geo Smith. I don't want to hear it. I'm not hearing. I'm there. I'm putting things <laughs> in my ears. I'm making noise. We're going to move on. Let's talk about some other players that uh, I guess we'll start weaving into the first couple of rounds, uh, assuming a redraft league, right? Um, but of course, this, this would apply uh, to other formats as well. Looking at the top two rounds, overall strategy, and then which a number of particular players that you want to talk about that, that fit into those uh, high round projections. And, and speaking of running backs, and before we get into some specific examples, just more broadly, the approach to running backs, because obviously they feature very prominently in, in the early stages, but there is a counter strategy, isn't there, which is a zero running back approach. So you basically just uh, issue the running backs in the first couple of rounds, load up on receivers, uh, maybe one of the top three quarterbacks, uh, and then fill your boots later on. What do you make of those two strategies? Do you have a preference for one as opposed to the other? We're all reactionary people. When, once you get burned, you change tack, right? Oh, I'm sensing a personal story here. <laughs> it's coming through. So what we've seen over the last few years is that high-end running backs have got hurt regularly. And that's made people wary, along with the movement towards more of a running back by committee for the majority mm -hmm. of the teams in the NFL now. And we've seen that work very effectively for the teams that have done that. And, and there's a lot of copycat. It's a copycat league, right? People will, will follow that path. So it means that there is a premium on running backs that can carry the load. But if you've drafted Christian McCaffrey first overall in the last two seasons and you've seen very little for your for your drafting, then yeah, there's a temptation now to fade running back. And effectively, so the, the zero running back philosophy is flawed, but uh, it doesn't mean that you need to take what you would have done five years ago, maybe, which would, which would have been running back, running back, running back in your first three rounds. Okay, so what is your preference with this year's crop for first three rounds. So I mentioned the top three quarterbacks. Is that fair to say that there are three quarterbacks demonstrably a cut above? There's a big drop after that. Receivers, naturally, you're going to be balancing it up, I guess, between... I mean, do you look at kind of one of each in the top three rounds? What's, how do you approach it? I think you want to go with the value. And I think the, an error people make is going in with a philosophy of I have to have this player by this point or I'm going to build my team that way because you just don't know what everyone else is going to draft. I do think you can have a philosophy in a broader sense going in saying wide receivers are undervalued this year. So again, a trend we've seen over the last few seasons is quarterbacks are more mobile, more accurate and, and frankly more talented than they've ever been. They're more trusted by their offensive coordinators and we've seeing running back snaps essentially be replaced by wide receiver screens and crosses. So something like Rondell Moore this year with Cliff Kingsbury, who we know is an enterprising coach, 
it wouldn't surprise me if there's games where Rondell gets 10 receptions, but the average depth of target is four or five yards, essentially replacing what a running back would be asked to do with, with many of the snaps. So receivers have grown in value over time. Uh, I think this year is a great example of a year where we, where we could see receivers go off the board with the first three picks potentially for, for a number of formats where you've got Jefferson, Cup and Chase, who are just that, that real tier above everybody else in terms of everyone's everyone's viewpoint right now. You mentioned quarterback. There are There is a top three in most people's minds right now where you have, in some order, Allen, Herbert and Mahomes. But I think that's an open competition with Lamar, with Kyler. Um, and there's, there's, there's a deep position now in a way that it never used to be previously. We saw Matt Stafford have a, a great year last year and Rogers been MVP. Okay, that hasn't always translated to fantasy, but th- that's a deep position. So don't feel like you need to go and take a Josh Allen. We're seeing him go very high in drafts. Understandably, he's a, a, an incredible talent, but he's probably being overdrafted right now because on the basis that you could pick up someone with a commensurable talent level and opportunity level later on in drafts. Such as who? Who you think? So if you if you do, let's key in on that. Rather than those top three, you think, okay, I'm going to pick up a quarterback later on and I'm going to go for McCaffrey. I'm going to go for Dalvin Cook or Aaron Jones. Uh, you're looking at what kind of round and what kind of player next. So if you miss out on, and maybe even like Lamar as well, there's some of the, the, the bigger names you mentioned. If you're looking for a mid-tier fantasy quarterback, mm. who would be a good bet and what kind of round should you be grabbing him? If you're playing Superflex, these players are going off in the first and second round. So, you know, there's no such thing really as a mid-tier. You have to go get your guy. If you're playing in a one QB league, you can wait until rounds seven, eight, nine, even later in, in some formats. There's The undervalued players tend to be those that didn't perform last season. We have short memories, right? So, you know, someone like Russell Wilson, who didn't look fantastic in Seattle, but now in Denver has better weapons. They, they're saying they're going to tailor this offense towards him which they never did in Seattle uh, he's a great value potentially for what that team could become Dak Prescott might be in the most pass happy fast paced offense in the league this year mm. and he's going at quarterback um, eight nine that kind of range I think he's a real value Trey Lance if he becomes what we think Trey Lance can be and even if he only does that with rushing prowess is a top 10 quarterback and could be very close to a Jalen Hurts who's being drafted as a top five quarterback. Mm. I think Lamar's, again, a real value. You know, he wasn't as healthy last season. They traded away Marquise Brown, but he's someone who generates an awful lot of value with his legs. And then the depth is there. You know, Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, these quarterbacks are in stable situations, good offense. Um, Minnesota's going to pass more than they have in recent years. Derek Carr's added Devontae Adams. Could we see both of them get close to 5,000 yards? It's possible. Okay, well, let's let's look at some of the players that could go high, will go high. You mentioned McCaffrey earlier on and missing 18 games since 2020. So there is obviously an inherent gamble in taking him, particularly taking him high. The counter argument, I guess, is that he still has it. When he played uh, in the five games that he played, uh, at least 48% of snaps last season, he averaged over 20 fantasy points per game, right? So that puts him right in in the top tier. So how much of a gamble would McCaffrey be? I mean, there, there are always gambles. Any player, even, even if he barely missed a down, could go at any point. So there's always a risk. But with a player that has suffered such significant injuries as McCaffrey over the last couple of years, should you steer well clear? Or should you feel confident that if I get him, he's going to be prolific? There's no question Taylor is the safer pick. 
So if you're thinking, you know, I only need that one player to get me over the top and JT is available, great. McCaffrey has a higher ceiling. We've seen it. You know, Taylor had an incredible rushing season last year, but he was 75% of, of McCaffrey's peak in terms of fancy points in most formats. So, you know, McCaffrey is the RB1 if you exclude injury from the conversation. However, injuries are a real thing. And we've seen, once we've seen the player be injury prone, their chances of becoming injured again increase. Let's, let's right. simplify it into that, right? So if we've seen McCaffrey go down in each of the last two seasons, we should be worried about a potential injury. The upside is great. He has a 1,000 yard receiving, a 1,000 yard rushing season on his resume. That's incredible. So he can be the RB1 this year, but you have to accept that he might miss some games. That's not uncommon for running backs. Dalvin Cook has never had a full healthy season. He's still going as a top five back and, and probably rightly so. So you have to factor that in. That's where the handcuff to that running back becomes important. If you're playing redraft, if you're playing dynasty and you're competing. But I, I, I think we also need to consider this franchise is in a how best to describe it in a, in a position where if Matt rule fails this year, he's gone. Mm-hmm. McCaffrey's workload cannot be sustained from what they're asking to do in previous seasons, because it would just be deemed gross negligence. I think as part of that franchise, you know, you lose any value to him. If he goes down again this year, what are you left with? If you try to trade him or even for his own, own prospects. So I think we're going to see, Less workload from McCaffrey, but still a, ba- a, baker, a baker, I guess, impacts that as well, doesn't it? Right. So, uh, if you're buying into Baker's going to start, Baker's a, a significant upgrade at the quarterback position year on year. Is that going to mean that they're going to need to rely on McCaffrey less as a, as a result? Because Baker's going to make a, a little bit more cook outside of it, McCaffrey, maybe still being the focal point, but not necessarily the only offensive option that they've got. Yeah, it's an optimistic take. I, I think with Baker, <laughs> what we should expect is that he plays hero ball. He goes outside the pocket and he tries to make things happen. And that's yeah. bad for running backs because what you want from a... The ideal situation is a, is a Matt Ryan who is stoic in the pocket, doesn't move and, and provides a lot of dump-offs and short passes to the running back to pick up to get those easy PPR points. Mm-hmm. In any field, we have to assume that's not going to be the case as often as it may be with, with Darnold. But He's going to sling it is what you said. All right, so not, that's not great for that. All right, speaking of good situations for running backs... Let's talk Josh Jacobs in Vegas. Josh McDaniels taking over the reins. Is that good news for Jacobs from a fantasy perspective? We know McDaniels from from New England likes the running back by committee, but the lead in that committee tends to have high value because they rush the ball a lot, particularly in goal line situations. So I like Jacobs this year, and I think, you know, at least for this season, we're going to see some value from him if he's healthy. He's another player who's been dinged up historically. I'm not too worried about Zamir White, the rookie coming in Kenyon Drake has struggled for his own health albeit you know has some past game value there uh, yeah I, I think with that offense what we're expecting from that offense in that division with Adams coming in all of those games against other uh, AFC West teams that we know are high powered yeah I like Jacobs this year you know on the running backs and this is courtesy of Mike Clay ESPN uh, Fantasy Supremo Really interesting piece on the site, just about general draft strategy. But one of the stats that really jumped out for me on running backs, and I guess this relates to the Carson point we were making a little bit earlier on, the durability or lack of these days, life in the big leagues as a running back doesn't roll on for too long. Check this out. Clay points out the average age of top 15 scoring fantasy running backs over the past five years is 24.1. 
And only six of the 75 running backs in the sample, that's 8%, what 27 or older at the start of the season. Right. So if you're 27, mm, you might not be uh, producing as much from a fantasy perspective as all those young'uns. And Dalvin Cook's 27. Leonard Fournette. I can't believe Leonard Fournette is only 27, by the way. I thought Leonard Fournette was 37 years old. Uh, James Connor's 27. Aaron Jones is 27. Zeke's 20. You get there. You get the idea. You get the picture. Should we be concerned that statistically, many of those players are going to underperform because the last five years shows us that that is the way the cookie crumbles? Or is this an exceptional group when we're talking about Derek Henry and Dalvin Cook and Zeke Elliott and Aaron Jones that might be outliers to that five-year stat? You have to take a case-by-case approach, but we've seen it historically. There's an age apex and it hits running backs really hard. You know, part of the, the amount of grind that these players take, and not just in the NFL, but in college and as back as far as high school, you know, it just dictates that once you get over a certain amount of touches, you know, I, I saw an article the other day, you know, Zeke's over 2,000 touches in his NFL career. Yeah, that's critical, isn't it? So age is one thing, but uh, because typically that is commensurate with, with touches, but not always the case as well. So you've got to have a look at that, how much you know, mileage they have on the clock in that respect. Incidentally, uh, James, what is the... What is the tipping point for a producer? I mean, if it's 27 seems to be for a fantasy running back, I mean, that's kind of prop propos around that kind of age. I mean, should he be worried? Is it, does it, is it the same? Is that parallel with a, with a, with a show producer? You said Leonard Fournette's been around forever. <laughs> I was, was far longer in the teeth. There are so many similarities there. Uh, what about Austin Eckley? He was one of the names that I mentioned. Uh, where's Eckler in your, in your prognosis this season? Cause he's going to go high. How high is he on Very your board? High. Yeah, I'm I'm lower on him than consensus. I, mm. I see the value. That's a great offense. He's got the role there. But I think he said himself that he doesn't believe he should have a three-down workload or at least have the snap share that he did last year. They've tried, in the last couple of his seasons, they've drafted and trialed other running backs to be part of a committee that it just hasn't worked out. You know, Joshua Kelly hasn't been what they expected. Justin Jackson hasn't been healthy. They've brought in Isaiah, Isaiah Spiller to take on more of a role. Now, I don't know how much he's going to play this season. Again, maybe he plays, you know, 15, 20% overall on on the season, but he's going to get some high value touches. I think, you know, around the goal line, Eckler is a smaller back. I think they want to manage his workload. So I think the issue you're seeing with Eckler is that there's just this dearth of quality running back options. And as a result, he's vaulted up into mm-hmm. top three, top five. He was the number two back in PPR leagues last year. So there's a reason for it, but I don't think he, he hits that ADP. Eckler, so prolific in the red zone. In terms of touches and and touchdowns, ranking in the top two for both of those categories last season. So do you think there's a chance that could be diminished based on what you said in terms of personnel switches? Or do you think we're going to see more of the same? You'd have to assume that a player at his age, you know, experience in the league, doesn't suddenly become a different kind of player or gets treated all that differently. It happens, but infrequently, particularly at the running back position. He, I believe, more than doubled his red zone uh, sorry, his received, uh, his rushing touchdowns inside the red zone last year on his career. Mm. So uh, I don't think that's something that's sustainable. Let's look at Dalvin Cook next. Interesting stat here, 15 goal line carries, which ranked fourth in the NFL, but he converted only three of them into scores. Uh, 16 touchdowns averaging from 2019 to 2020, six touchdowns from last season. Is that an outlier? Just an anomaly? Business as usual? How should we be thinking about and feeling about Dalvin Cook and Fantasy Valley? 
I'm conflicted on Delvin. Uh, Kevin O'Connell's come in as the head coach. We saw him as the offensive coordinator in LA. In LA, they focus on high-value running back touches. So Cam Akers gets a lot of goal line work. We expect Dalvin to get the same. Alexander Matheson, we assume, um, even under a new coach, is still very much going to be the number two rather than a 1B, 1A type system. So with that philosophy coming in, with you know a lot of offensive power in that team, we, we think they're going to be a good offense and therefore Dalvin's going to have a lot of opportunity for these high-value touches around the goal line. But he's been a prominent receiving back. He's older. We don't know necessarily if he's going to have that, you know, workhorse back role for too much longer. So I, I think we're going to see some great spikes from Dalvin, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure going forward we're going to see uh, Pete Dalvin too much longer. Okay, if he's trending maybe in the wrong direction, it's Aaron Jones trending. If it's possible for Aaron Jones to trend even higher. Is he going to kick on given the obvious change in offense uh, in Green Bay? Do you think that it is, we're going to see a lot more? I mean, certainly on the on the show in recent weeks, Greg Rosenthal suggested that we're going to see a lot more of the ground game and therefore Aaron Jones this time around in, in Green Bay. How significant is it that Devontae's gone, that it's Valdez Scantling is gone, that it's rejiggery in the Green Bay offense? Good news for Aaron Jones and fantasy owners of Aaron Jones, presumably. Yeah, he's so format specific. If you're playing in a league that doesn't reward catches in a way that PPR does, you probably stay away from him and he might be a you know mid-round pick in a format where you are rewarding those touches. You know, he he's a top two, he's a top two round player. He is going to fill a role. I think we have to believe they're not going to bring in Bar Cantor, an experienced receiver like a Julio, like a Will Fuller at this stage. They're going with what they have. We have to believe that he's going to be taking an awful lot of share out of that backfield and be a receiver first and a running back second in this offense. Mm. And that's incredibly valuable. You know, if you think about what a running back has to do to earn five points in a game, uh, you know, three catches for 20 yards or five rushes for 50, one of them's far easier than the other. And he's that kind of player. So he's going to be involved. We know he's got Aaron Rodgers' trust. They can have two backs who both be, I think, top 36, top 24, potentially running backs this season. I, I like Aaron Jones, but I think you just have to make sure you're in the right format to maximize his value. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, last one in terms of high round picks and next show, we'll look at more and we'll talk more and drill down more into, into overall strategy. But we mentioned three quarterbacks that are getting selected ahead of the chasing pack uh, and Josh Allen keying in on reigning fantasy QB one. How about them apples? And uh, I think we are assuming more of the same from him. Is he the top quarterback on the board for you? Yeah, by distance. He's, when you watch him play, he's a man amongst boys. He's, he can do everything in the game that you need from a fantasy perspective. He has more weapons this year. We, Isaiah McKenzie, by all accounts, is lighting up camp and they brought in Shakir. Um, James Cook is in that backfield as a receiving option for him. The element, the element of concern might be that over time, they temper the amount of expectation for him to rush the football. But I don't think that's this year. I think that may come in a year or two down the track after that point. So when it's third and six, he's still the running back. And ultimately, it's very hard to see the upside, however talented they may be, for Mahomes or a Herbert that can eclipse what Allen can do this year. In terms of looking at, I mean, the Jets, obviously, in, in, in Buffalo's division, defensively, well, all round, they're going to be a lot stronger, but defensively are going to be a much stronger proposition than they have been. Still the Jets. 
fair point but the, <laughs> you get my point i guess in terms of situation and looking obviously at schedule obviously a um divisional situation how much does that factor into your thinking when you're making a call between Allen, who statistically might have led the pack last year, but you think, well, actually, is he going to have a tougher run of it than than say Mahomes? Uh, or how much do you factor when you're making your decisions, schedule, and situation into that call? It's a good point, and I think one that sometimes people are on, on the wrong side of the conversation. So, what you don't really want is a player facing in an offensive situation facing up against a team that are woeful so yes you want to make sure that you don't have a shutdown corner we've seen Tampa Bay's run DB dominant over the last couple of seasons and limiting what Russia can achieve but outside of those extremes what you really want is a high scoring game mm. so better to look at those better to target the games where Vegas has uh, you know a, a points tally over 50 knowing that that's going to create more opportunity for your offense yeah. Okay. So in other words, listen keenly to edge rush every week as well in tag team with FFS. Um, we'll talk about the overrunners on that. All right. Let's talk a bit of DFS, James. And speaking of DFS, our friends, DraftKings, we've set up the Nat Coombs show listener league. I mentioned it a bit earlier on draftkings.co.uk forward slash Nat Coombs show. It's a pretty straightforward URL. You can find it on our Twitter as a pin tweet. It's in the show notes as well. So wherever you're listening, just go and click on that. It should be a hyperlink so you can get straight to it. Get involved with that. Lots of you already have. Great to see you in there. You can go head to head with me, the great Sandrini Propo. Uh, all of us uh, show us how it's done. Uh, and we're going to be offering all kinds of prizes, the prizes throughout the season, including tickets to Wembley to see the Broncos and the Jags. So you can only win tickets if you're in the listening. So get stuck in with that. And to give our listeners a fighting chance, to give me a fighting chance, quite frankly, James, let's get some basics out of the way. So summarize for us the fundamental differences between DFS and say redraft or or a standard old school conventional fantasy. So the key point is it's week to week you're picking a lineup to suit that game that is being played that week. And as we know, during the course of the season, there are tougher games and easier games. There are games more likely to result in high number of receiving yards or or rushing touchdowns than than others. So the key is to really hone in on what's going to happen during the course of that week. You pick a lineup based on their roster format. So it's, it's one QB, it's two running backs, it's three receivers, a tight end, a flex. So DST relates to defense and special teams, right? So a great defensive unit like Green Bay from last year weren't a great DST because their special teams was abysmal and Mm. and put them out of the playoffs. What you really want to find are teams that have ball hawks and can return the ball to the end zone, have good punt returners, have good uh, kickoff returners. That's the format that you work to. You then pick players based on evaluation set by DraftKings every single week, and you have a salary cap to work to. So you can pick a few superstars, and you've got to fill out your roster with a few other players that might be under the radar with the goal of having a relatively unique lineup, depending on the format you're playing in. There's, there's leagues where you can be, you need to be high risk to win a tournament. There's low mm-hmm. risk um, where you play against your friends, maybe in more sort of heads up way. But essentially, how can you build a, a roster just for that week? So I typically uh, in the past have gone exactly as you suggested with the the top players swallowing most of your budget, burn the budget on them. And then I'm scrabbling around for (laughs) for fillers just to make sure I can put out a legitimate and competitive lineup. I'm going to try and refine that this year. And I like that. I like that 
high risk, high stakes poker kind of vibe about it, that you've just got to find that point of difference. You've got to make a left field pit. You've got to roll the dice on, on players. If you do that to our point earlier on in a redraft league, and and you burn your top two picks on players. McCaffrey gets injured week two. You burn your top picks on on big players. It's an uphill struggle thereafter. You might get lucky. You might manage to wheel and deal and get back into it. But you can have a season derailed in redraw fantasy by significant bad luck. Whereas in daily fantasy, you just go again. So you, you roll the dice and if it blows up in your face, it doesn't matter because you start uh, once again the next week, which is what I love, which suits my kind of style of play, I think. On the, uh, let's look at stacks on today's show. So stacks, obviously a fundamental part of uh, of DFS strategy. What are, What is a stack? Talk us through that. How does stacks work? So what we all figured out quite early on in DFS was that if you had a quarterback having a good week, chances are one of his pass catches or two of his pass catches were going to as well. So in these games that have um, high points totals, you end up with a few players who end up being the optimal players to pick who are in the same offense. And the key there is, is the quarterback and pass catchers. So it could be a tight end, could be a receiver, there's a bit of negative correlation there with running backs because if teams are throwing it a lot, they're probably not rushing it quite as often, obviously. And also there's a positive correlation with the opponent. So if one team is scoring 40, chances are the other teams having to throw regularly to get back into the game. So you can start picking games that you think are going to provide high value. And then it's about selecting the players that you, you build a stack around. Some of them more obvious. So, you know, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T Higgins, that's going to be very popular this year. But a lot of other players are going to have that stack. So part of this is trying to find some unique combinations that, that can have high value in the odd game here or there. Drew Lock to Tyler Lockett. That's the one. That's the under the radar one. That's my uh, summer sheet. Where I'm going to approach this. That's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to Baker. I'm going to just pick Baker every week. <laughs> so the obvious ones like Alan to Diggs. Give us some more under the radar ones. Yeah, a few that I like. I, I think if you were to build a stack of three players rather than two, uh, in really high scoring games. I think that gives you a, a way to play that can create some unique combinations, but still have some strength in there as in it's robust. You know, you can rely on the quarterback to, to in theory, provide these receivers with the, with the opportunity. So a few I like, um, I think a lot of people are going to be looking at Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson this season because Kirk Cousins value isn't going to be as high as that elite tier of receiver. J Jeff could have a Cooper cup like season that's within the range of outcomes, but that third receiver we don't really know. Is Adam Thielen healthy? We know he's a touchdown machine when he is. KJ Osborne is someone I really like this year as a, as a deep sleeper. If Thielen can't go, Irv Smith is back and tattooed and you know ready to hit the field. He was someone that we <laughs> spoke about as a breakout candidate last season before he was injured. So I think that's an interesting one. Um, I think Matt Ryan, Michael Pittman and Naheem Hines is, mm. is really quite exciting right JT is going to take all of your defensive focus during the course of the week Matt Ryan is a play action quarterback this plays well for him I think coming into Indy Michael Pittman is his go-to number one there is no other receiving option in that um, in that offense that I think we need to worry about to quite the same degree but Naheem Hines you know we've heard from the coach Frank Reich that uh, we should be picking him up in fantasy there's a lot of coach speak out there. They don't usually reference fantasy. So mm. I might just take him for his word. And I think this is a, a, a situation where, again, we spoke about Matt Ryan being a real pocket passer. 
Um, he's someone who's not going to move in the pocket. Naheem Hines might get him out of trouble regularly. Could we see a Michael Pittman go for, you know, 7-1-10 and a score and Naheem Hines get eight receptions out of that grip field and a score? Yeah, definitely. I think I think that's an interesting one for me. Last one I'll touch do on. Do you think, just on that, do you think that's in uh, Naheem Hines' contract, his agent negotiated that, that I want X amount of money, this amount is guaranteed over three years and in at least two press conferences, you are going to mention that I should be picked up in fantasy. I've always figured the best agent gets you the backup QB job. Like that's the one. I really want. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, a mid-tier agent, maybe he's getting his client up. Uh, Matt Barkley's agent is maybe the greatest of all time. Hey, Matt Barkley's is Matt Barkley's got the same agent as Kirk Cousins because if he does, that is, he is the greatest agent of all time. I need to find out. While you're giving us another pick, I'm going to look up if that is the case. So the next one for me is is looking at situations which at the moment, particularly if we took think about early on in the season, when we don't know as much as we will by, let's say, week four, week six, when the season starts to calm down. Can you unpick one of these complex, should we say, situations like Green Bay, like New England, in terms of their receiver room? Uh, we don't know who Mac Jones' number one receiver is. Could it be Devontae Parker? If it is, we know there's, there's a red zone threat and Mac Jones' bowl accounts is looking great in camp. They're speeding up the offense. Does Mac Jones know who's number one receiver is because they haven't have a coordinator? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, Matt Patricia, bowl accounts is going to be calling plays. Take that for what you will. Um, mm-hmm. We still feel that Bill is going to be involved, right? But, you know, New England's a situation like that. Green Bay, you know, Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks of his era. He's just won two MVPs in a row. Is Alan Lazard going to become an alpha receiver? If, is Sammy Watkins going to have a comeback season? Is Christian Watson, is Romeo Dubs going to have a breakout as a rookie? I think if you can unpick those early on in the year, then you've got a unique lineup, probably at lower cost than others, that can really propel you in a tournament format. Love that. Uh, love all the last 45 minutes and your brilliant insight as ever. James Sandrini couldn't find out uh, if... Matt Barkley shares the same agent as Kirk Cousins. Mike McCartney is Kirk Cousins' agent. If you know who Matt Barkley's agent is, send it in to us at the NC show. This could be quite, I'd quite like to stop building a list of backup quarterbacks agents and see if there's some correlation there. The same guy, he specializes in the backup quarterback. It's possible. Kickers and backup quarterbacks, right? You know? I don't want to be a kicker in, in Jacksonville. You know, that's what I've learned, mm. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of the, the five key lessons in life. Not just football in life. Don't be a kicker in Jacksonville. Brilliant stuff. Back for more. Of course, we get you set for uh, your big drafts at the start of the season. But of course, we're going to be rolling all season long, playing a lot of daily fantasy and giving you steers on how you can find an edge week in, week out throughout the season. Brilliant stuff, man. Check in with you soon. Thanks, man. Lovely stuff. Still enjoying you getting in touch with us with suggestions of what FFS should stand for at the NC show. It's how you do that. Fantasy Football Sharps is the official title, but yeah, hey, we're open to open to direction on that. Some good ones coming in. We'll read out some of our faves on on the next show. We're going to remember to do that, Propo. Uh, speaking of which, speaking of Propo, Edge Rush coming back soon. We've got Ollie Connolly rocking up too uh, very shortly. So uh, keep your eyes and ears peeled for all the new stuff coming out on the NC Show feed. Remember, we're going to four episodes a week for the start of the new season. Iron Mike uh, joins me every Monday for the review show. We've got Edge Rush, we've got FFS, we've got our preview show, and we've got lots of bonus shows coming in as well. So some weeks will be five episodes a week. How about that? A lot of goodness uh, for you as we roll into the 2022 season. We'll see you soon. Bye for now.
Social Podcast Network. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.